0: gather together as God's people, that we get this opportunity to worship together. My name is Matt Rawlings. I'm one of the pastors here. I haven't actually stood in the pulpit for the previous three weeks, so it is good to be back again. Actually, it's been four weeks, I just realized. Uh, We had a snow day. We had Andy Nacelli. We had Aaron preaching twice, and so it's good to be back again and good to be with you all. It is a privilege to gather together. Uh, my wife and I were talking about how much we were looking forward to being in church today. And I hope that that is your experience as well. That you find that not only do you meet God and meet his people, but you experience the encouragement of God from his word. Um, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. We're in a series. In the the letter to the Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and so we're picking that back up again, 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to be reading verses 12 down to 27. So turn in your Bibles and let's read God's holy inspired word together. This is God's word. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If all were a single member where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is God's word. Let's ask for his help to receive it. Father, we, we only are born again by your Holy Spirit. We are only a part of the body by your Spirit, and we only can understand and apply your word by your spirit, and so we ask for your spirit to come and fill us afresh. Would you enable me to preach? Would you enable all of us to hear from you? And God, would you enable us to to not be like people who just hear the word, but people who apply your word? Would you give us that grace, we pray in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, there was a poll That was released from Georgetown University. It was published in an article that was entitled, Americans are united in worry over political divisions, but not much else. One of the study's authors said that there's one thing that America is united about, and that is how divided we are. 67% of respondents said that, that politics has gotten even nastier, and the concern isn't just widespread, it's acute. The bipartisan poll, it asked voters to rank division on a one to 100 scale, with 100 representing the edge of civil war. And the average response, the mean response, was a 70. The differences in politics and society around, though, it's not just out there, it's crept into families. Another poll said that 27% of families are divided. 40% of people have experienced division personally in their relationships in the last two years. And the differences haven't just crept into families, they've crept into churches. People have split over things that are secondary and third-level issues. So, what's the solution in, a, in an environment like this? What's the solution? What's is it uniting around politics or a cause or what will fix the divisions in the world? The situation in Paul's day, it wasn't vastly different. Yes, it, it was a, a very different century. They didn't have all the modern conveniences that we have, but, but they dealt with the same kinds of divisions. They divided over classes. They divided over social status. They divided over Jewish ideology or Greek or Gentile ideology, and there were vast divisions around. They were dividing over their social status, and they thought that what they did elevated who they were, or maybe what part or a group they were a part of. If they, they followed a certain apostle or a teacher, that that made them... More valuable that it gave them a more impressive identity. And that's, that's, they were all separated by these identity politics. And they brought those ideas into the church. I pray that that isn't the case here. However, because it's so prevalent around us, like it was prevalent for the church in Corinth, we need to be on guard against those things. What's the Apostle Paul's answer? Is his answer to say, hey, just unite around a, a common cause. Unite around some political ideology, or unite around Greek thinking, or unite around Jewish thinking. He doesn't do that. What does he do? We see in this passage that what he does is he redirects them to the truth of who they are in Christ by the Holy Spirit. You see, transformative living, it starts with transformative thinking, and remembering who we are in Christ. And that's where Paul begins. He begins to unpack and remind them of what he's already told him several times all throughout the letter, that you're a body, and he gives all kinds of illustrations before he said you're a field and, and you're a building, and, and he gives all kinds of illustrations. He's trying to show them who they really are, and he says, you know what, you are a body. Just like a physical body is one, but it's got a whole lot of parts. It's one, but don't fail to see all the parts. And so he... The Holy Spirit helps him address this issue through instructing them and reminding them about the truth of who they are in Christ. And that's meant to transform not just their thinking, but how they live with each other. The true answer to the problems of the division they begin with Christ and the union that Christians have in his body. And then seeing ourselves in each other in light of that union. The way that Paul begins in, in verses 12 to 14, really, is that he's, he's reminding them that, that we're, we're one body. He's told them that before, we're one body, but we've got a lot of members. He, he doesn't want them to lose sight of the fact, yes, we're one, but, but there's a whole lot of individuals that are necessary that make up that body. And so he shows them that. In verses 12 to 14, he's, he's just showed in the, in the prior passage, in case you've forgotten where we're at in the letter to the Corinthians, because it's been about a month or so, he's reminding them of all the fact that the Holy Spirit gives each member spiritual gifts. Each and every person has been endowed by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts, and so he's told them that truth. And now he says, because, because of that, because we have one spirit, and he gives all these gifts, I want you to understand something. We're one body, but there's a whole lot of members, a whole lot of different members, there's a diversity of members in the body. And so he drives home this, this idea, and he says, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. He says, and so it is with Christ. He gives us this illustration of a physical body, and he wants the reader to think about their physical bodies. So why don't we do that for a second? Think about your body. If if you get hurt in one part of your body, you bang your funny bone. <laughs> Your whole body feels that. If you you stub your toe, what's the immediate reaction that happens? You stub your toe, instantly the body reacts. It doesn't think about it, it reacts as one. You might bend down and like step and grab your toe. Something might come out of your mouth. You're going to feel pain. And you don't think, oh, I stubbed my toe, now I need to respond. You don't have that kind of response. You stub it, it's immediate, it's a... It's a knee-jerk reaction. Why? Because you have a whole lot of parts, but you're really one body. And, and you need all those different parts. And the Apostle Paul wants us to think about that. We're, we're one body, but we have a lot of members, but we're one body. I was talking to someone who is pursuing physical therapy a little while ago, and they were talking about how tough their class in anatomy was. And I thought, that doesn't seem that hard what's the big deal? Just a bunch of body parts. You just got to memorize a few body parts, right? It's not a big deal. Still a little minimization. And then I realized after I looked it up, got a little humility. The human body's got 206 bones, 900 ligaments that are named, 4,000 tendons, 600 skeletal muscles, 78, I didn't know that, 78 different organs in our body, there's a total of 5,784 parts in the body, just a little memorization. And then apparently you have to memorize how it all works together. No biggie, right? But, but the thing about it is what makes it difficult is it's not just remembering there's so many different parts. It's that they're in, in, interdependently connected. That they're all related to each other in some way. And none of the body parts can function without the other body parts. I'm grateful for every one of the parts of my body and I hope you are too for your body because otherwise it wouldn't function as God designed it. And that's what Paul is trying to get us to see. The Holy Spirit is trying to get us to see. We need every individual member of the body to function as a whole as God designed. That has implications. How we view ourselves, how we view other people. We weren't meant to function by ourselves any more than if I cut my hand off, it could function by itself it would eventually die. It doesn't make sense to claim you're a Christian but say, I don't need to be integrally linked. I don't need to be connected to other members of Christ's body. Paul's saying, that's a nonsensical argument. You can't say that. That's why it's problematic for people to say, I don't need the church. I'm just going to have my own church at home. Well, that's, that's a contradiction in terms. The church is God's body, God's people gathered in a specific place with specific individuals that make up the whole. Every member of the body is unique, but none of us are meant to be independent from each other. You know, imagine as well that Paul gives this idea you know, if you have a, your finger and it says, you know what, I want to be attached to the head now. I don't want to be attached to the hand. Just me and Jesus. What an absurd picture that would be. I can't really do it here, but you know. And all the body parts said, you know what, it's just me and Jesus. And so all these body parts are just off the head here. It would be a monstrosity. It would be absurd. It wouldn't work. Let me ask you, how do you think of yourself in relation to the body of Christ? It's not just a metaphor. It's meant to affect how we think of each other. It's meant to affect how we relate to each other as well, how we value each other. And Paul gives us the basis for how this happens. He says, this isn't something you did on your own. Look, look down in verse 13. He doesn't say, hey, you know, you became of the body because you made a decision, because you joined yourself to a local church and you became a part of this body. And so really, it, thank you, Corinthians for your effort. Now he reminds them of the truth that this is something that is bigger than them, that's supernatural, that's transpired. When you come and be a part of a local church, this is not just a decision that's up to you. This is a decision that the Holy Spirit actually confirms and he makes you a part of the body. Look in verse 13. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized, everybody, everybody in the church. If you're a Christian, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, if you repented and believed, You have been baptized by the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit into one body. It doesn't matter your distinctives. He says it doesn't matter Jews or Greeks, slave or free. All of us drink of the same Spirit. Back in in Paul's day, the Jews refused to associate with the Greeks or the Gentiles. And the Gentiles and the Greeks, they thought the Jews were absolutely insane and refused to associate with them. Slaves and free, they wouldn't have been together. And yet the church... It was a picture of the breaking down of division. All of the things that, that separate the world as a supernatural work that happens, that transpires by the Holy Spirit. He joins all of us who are divided together as one in the body of Christ. Our common experience of the Spirit removes the significance of the old ways of distinguishing ourselves. No longer are we primarily Jews or Greeks, Democrats, Republicans, Americans, Russians, Canadians, Germans, Chinese, whatever you can think of, slaves or free. We're one people, one body in the Spirit, and we drink of Him. That's, that's who gives us life and sustenance. All the things that want to divide us are not the things that define us any longer. How about you? What are you defined by? What issue or what topic is raised that, that you struggle with because you're defined by that thing and it's challenging when somebody says, we're not this party, we're not that party, and you're like, but, but this party's more right. Our unity is objective. If you're a Christian, our unity is objective and it's a work of the Spirit and it doesn't depend on our work to bring unity, by the way. We, we live out that unity and that's what Paul is calling us to do. And the Holy Spirit, he's key to everything that we do and, and everything we are in the body of Christ. Now, the fact that the Holy Spirit, he removes the significance of those things that once separated us, it doesn't mean we don't have anything we need to change in, OK? Our thinking might need to be transformed in a whole lot of ways in conformity with the truth. But how we relate to each other should be based on the truth of who we are in him. We're, we're one body with a whole lot of members. We're one, we're unified, we need each other. We need every different member of the body. Diversity within unity is the essence of the body of Christ. And the first truth is, was that Paul wants them to be transformed by is that we're, we're one body with many members. And the second thing he's going to get them to see in, in verses 15 to 20 is that, that how we view ourselves, it doesn't make us any less a part of the body. How we view ourselves doesn't make us any less a part of the body. You might view yourself as, I don't need the body. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to be a part of the body. It doesn't change who you've been called to be and made to be by the Spirit. You might be in disobedience to that, but it doesn't change the fact. Paul gives us pretty humorous and some absurd illustrations. Look down at verse 15. Can you imagine this? I mean, imagine for a second a foot talking and saying, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong. And we're, in verse 16, you know, the, the ear, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. And then he says, if the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body would an ear, where would the sense of smell be? It's kind of an absurd notion, isn't it? In both cases, it doesn't make the body part any less a part of the body. Look what he says in verse 15. He repeats again in 16. He says, that would not make it any less a part of the body. It doesn't matter what you're saying. I don't need this because I'm not this, because I'm not this part, and and, and I want to be that part, or because I seem inferior, because I I get walked on, because I'm in the dirt. I get dirty, dusty, and I'm smelly. Then I'm not a part of the body because the hand seems to enjoy all the action. They get to grab things and, and shake People's hands and, and hug, and, and the hands get to do a lot and because of my foot, I'm not a part of the body. Paul says that's, that's an absurd notion. I think he's getting at something by using those two illustrations. He's getting at this common temptation. It was, it was rampant in the church then, and it's, it's rampant now. And that's comparison. You've all prayed to comparison? Anybody here ever compare yourself to other people? Three people are honest. You're all, sorry, you're all lying if you didn't raise your hand. (laughs) Maybe there are a few who don't struggle with comparison. But I can guarantee you when, if a guy walks into the gym, he's going to notice those guys who are jacked and bigger than him immediately. Or the guys that he's bigger than. If a girl walks into a pool... She's going to notice the other girls in the pool. It's, it's just how we automatically, we immediately respond that way. Comparison happens by default. We all do it. It's, it's second nature to who we used to be by default, unless we're on guard. And so, Paul here, he's addressing this sense of inferiority where the foot doesn't feel like it belongs. Have you ever felt inferior because you were, weren't made a certain way or because you don't function in a certain way very well or because you have weaknesses or you don't look a certain way because you don't, can't do the same things, you don't feel or think or communicate the same way someone else does or you have limitations and so you feel like, I'm not, I'm not good enough, I'm not really a part. Maybe you said to yourself, I don't fit in. I, I, I don't belong. I I feel like an outsider. If you've had those thoughts, by the way, then I would, I would guess the majority of folks in the room have had those thoughts at some point in time. Maybe you said, no one else is like me. No one else struggles like me. No one else understands me. No one else can relate to me. I can't get it because all the people there at that church or this place, they're just, they're just not like me and I don't fit in. The funny thing is, is that all of us feel like that at times, but none of us believe that. But here's what God says to that. He says, that thinking doesn't make you any less a part of the body. You need to transform that thinking with the reality that the Holy Spirit, if you're you're in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit has brought you in and made you a part of the body. You are not inferior because you're in him and you're part of his body. There's no unimportant member, no unimportant body part. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. There's no unimportant member. There's no unimportant body part. Think of your own body. Which part of you like? Eh, that's not very important. I'll cut that off. I only need one ear. I only need one eye. I don't need my eyes, right? I don't, I don't need my feet. I mean, what? If you if you could pick, I don't think anybody in their right mind would say like, I'm gonna cut that part off because I'm. I don't need that. No, we were designed as a whole. When there's no unimportant member of the body. Paul's getting at the fact that, that the members of the body, they, we also need the functions. We need the functions of the other members in the body. If that's what he's getting in verse 17. He says, the body was an eye, where the sense of hearing be? If the body were an ear, where the sense of smell be? If every part was the same, the body wouldn't work very well. It'd be like a giant eye from that Monsters, Inc. show. You know, it, it, it's just walking around. That wouldn't be very functional. Or a giant foot or a giant ear. Instead of there being 5,784 different body parts, imagine if there were only two. Our bodies wouldn't work very well. That's what Paul is saying to them. If there's not a diversity of members and parts that you play, that, that you are a part of, if you're not a, there's not a diversity in the body, the body would be lacking. So don't think of yourself as, I'm not needed or I'm not a part of the body because I'm different. We need every church member to be a part that God has designed you. Don't pull back. Here's the temptation that he's probably addressing, is the temptation to pull away or pull back or disengage because I don't feel like I'm a part of the body. And he says, that doesn't, that's not true. It doesn't make that true because you think that. Don't pull away because you're not an ear or a foot or a nose or a hand. Don't think you can withdraw from the body, separate yourself from the body, and won't have an effect both on you and them. Don't think that doesn't matter if you show up to church. Don't think that it doesn't matter if you don't participate in the life of the church and serving or caring for others or being in a small group. Don't think that it's not going to make a difference. Even if people don't notice and you think, no, nobody notices this. Don't think that makes you less crucial to the health of the body. Even if you can't see the difference that you make, here's what you can trust. And here's what the scripture says. God has actually arranged you and chosen the part you're going to be in the body. And that's a really good thing. Don't just be a consumer. We need you. We need your perspective. We need your differences. Other people here need you to be engaged. Don't just think about yourself. Instead, relish the fact that that God gave you and made you to be a member of his body. You might be a finger. You might be a toe. But we sure need those things. Or you might think that you're really impressive. We need you. Maybe not to be proud, but we need you. We You're a part that's needed, whether or not anyone else can tell. And when a part's missing from the body, the body is, gets in trouble. Look in verse 18. It's God has arranged. Don't think you don't belong. No, God's arranged you specifically to be a part of a local church. Now, maybe this is not your church home. You haven't yet found a church home. That's okay temporarily, but don't let that go on for long. That's unhealthy. God has arranged you to be a part of the body and to be a part of a specific local body. Just as he's chosen, maybe you feel like you can't relate, people don't understand, you can't fit in. Your differences are not a curse, your differences are needed. God's care, his design, his placement of his people in the body, it's not just for those who are more gifted, more noticeable or... People in positions of authority and responsibility. It's not just that I'm called to be a pastor here. No, you're called to be a member here just as much as I'm called to be a pastor here and we both need each other just as much. It's not a hierarchy. We're all interdependent members of the body. And God arranges that perfectly. Perfectly engineering, thoughtfully and skillfully, just like he's arranged. Our bodies, they're amazing, because they function together in ways that are still, we're still unpacking and trying to understand. If you're a part of this local body, let me encourage you. Yes, you. We ask for you to, to go to our membership class. We ask you to understand what we believe and and to make a commitment and, and a covenant with us to be a part of this body. But but really, it's God who selects and arranges and chooses. And he does that mysteriously through our choices. You have been chosen and arranged specifically in this body, if you're a member. Let, let's be the kind of church where our members accept our gifts without being pretentious about them, and we don't downplay somebody else's part or envy another member. Because after all, look at verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? It wouldn't be a body. What a grotesque and worthless body it would be. Relish the fact that we're not all the same. Give thanks to God for that. Instead of comparing, say, God, thank you that you made me to be, and you made me to be this way. You've arranged me. Now, I'm not talking about sin patterns, things you need to change. No, but but God has, has crafted and placed you here. So rest in that. How we view ourselves doesn't make us any less a part of the body. And then how we view others. The third thing Paul's getting us to see is how we view others. It doesn't change their indispensability to the body. How you view someone else doesn't change the fact that they are indispensable, unable to be dispensed with, that they are indispensable to the body. In verse 20, he says, As it is, there's many parts. Yet there's one body, but there's many parts. In verse 21, it says, I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. So he shifted from a, a self-focus here, where we're, we're aware of our limitations, what we're not, now he shifted to the fact of saying that, okay, how we view other people, I can't say to you, I don't, have, I don't need you. He's not just addressing comparison, he's addressing comparison that leads to pride and self-sufficiency. The idea that you can go it alone in church, that you, this proud notion that you don't need other people in church to function well. maybe skipping out on times when the churches is gathered because you feel like, I don't, I don't need other people. Mm, I'm doing fine. Sometimes we, we might feel like we're tired or we don't feel like being around people or, you know, I don't think those people refresh me or make me feel better. And often it's in those times when we're most tired and weary or discouraged that God encourages us through other people or uses us to encourage others. So does your behavior in the body reflect that? Does your behavior in the body reflect the fact that, that, that other members are indispensable to you and that you're indispensable to them? If not, we need to change our thinking. He says the parts of the body that seem weaker, look like at verse 22. He says they're actually indispensable. You can't do away with those weaker parts. You ever thought of your fellow members as indispensable? I hope you have. Every part is indispensable, even those parts or members that you feel like you're better than. Sadly, the sin nature rears up its head. Sometimes you think, I'm better than that person because I have a better belief, or I have a better parenting practice, or I have a Better marriage or I have a better way of doing things or a better way of seeing things or I have a better grasp on what's true or I have a better grasp on Scripture and so we can compare ourselves and think less favorably of other people. And what that mindset is is saying that that person, because we might have maturity this by the way, given by God, that, that because we might have an area of maturity, we don't need those other people. We don't need those weak people. We've all had those thoughts. And he says, No. No part is, is dispensable. Every part is indispensable. In, in preparing for this, I was just doing some reading about different parts of the body, and, and I've never really thought much about the liver. I've never really thought much about my liver. It's, you know, I've dissected things, and the liver's just this kind of blob, just kind of sits there, there's nothing impressive about it. It's not attractive. It's like, what does it really do? It's just this mass. It's like, what does it do? And it seems to be a pretty weak part. And that's what kind of he's talking about these, these inward parts that seem to be weak, right? It's not a muscle. It's pretty weak. It's not a muscle. It's not a bone. It doesn't help us stand up straight. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't flex. It's not part of the nervous system, doesn't part, or at least we don't think it is. It doesn't to really do with our thinking or movement. It's not a part of the circulatory system either, really. And it doesn't look impressive. It's not pretty, that's for sure. But let me tell you something I learned. If, apparently, if you lo- lost your liver completely, or if you have complete liver failure, you can only survive for the day max two. Your liver, it's, it's one of the largest and most important organs in your body has all kinds of functions it breaks down fats it processes nutrients it stores vitamins it metabolizes proteins breaks down old blood cells it performs over 500 different functions for your body that weaker part is pretty indispensable but it's not really seen it's behind the scenes it's not really impressive Do you get what paul's after here those parts you think are weak not very impressive. They don't think. The liver's not thinking like the brain. The liver is not pumping blood like the heart. The liver's not bringing oxygen like the lungs, but you're not going to live without it. So Paul says, don't, don't think those seemingly weaker parts are dispensable. They're indispensable. We need to remember. We need everyone to serve in some way, some function, no matter what you're serving in. But it seems impressive or not. We need people to pray for people. We need people to serve our children, to greet, to usher, to serve communion, to make meals, to, to care and serve in secret, to serve with sound or projection or setup or all the myriad parts and those who administrate whatever you think of as weaker, that's indispensable. And you're needed, and they're needed. If we didn't have sound, you wouldn't be able to hear me. So it's really kind of just as necessary as what I'm doing in a sense so you to hear God's word. Paul talks about those parts we think are less honorable. What do we, what do, we do with our own body parts that we think are less honorable, that are less presentable? Our reproductive organs, our excretory system, what do we, what do, we do with those parts? Well, we, we clothe them, we, we cover them up. We, we're, not, we're not trying to shame them or embarrass them. We're actually bringing modesty to them. But, you know, our more presentable parts, our faces, we don't, we don't need to cover up. We don't do that because they're, they, don't, they don't need to be covered. They don't need to be treated modestly. How do you treat other members of the body that you seem are weaker, that you think might be less presentable? Is there somebody in the church that you're like, oh, my gosh, if I have a visitor, please don't let that person talk to them? You ever had that thought? Don't say it out loud and don't say who it is but you thought, oh gosh, I just brought my parents here. I sure hope that this person doesn't talk to them because oh my gosh, woo, they're out there. They're a mess and they're going to think our whole church is a mess. Yeah, you know what, we're a mess. We've been saved by grace though and we're all a mess. God's composed, look at verse 24. Oops, I skipped over actually. (laughs) God's composed different members of our body in such a way that he gives greater honor to the part that lacked it. And he's composed, or he's mixed us together on purpose. I was reading an article in Scientific American recently about about metallurgy. It sounds real exciting, right? I kind of geek out sometimes. Um, It's called, Mixed Up Metals Make for Stronger, Tougher, Stretchier Alloys. You know, scientists have been looking for, for metals that are going to be stronger, like in aviation, so that they can be tougher, stronger, and lighter, and more flexible. And so they've been trying to figure this out for years. And what they, what they understood was they say at the atomic level, pure metals have a, a regular crystal. Don't, don't check out, okay? I'm, I'm going to get back to this, all right? So at an atomic level, pure metals have a regular crystal structure. It stacks layer upon layer of identical atoms, Often those layers, they slip past each other easily, which makes the metal too soft to be useful. That's why pure gold, it's rarely used in jewelry, because it can't survive much wear and tear. But if the metalsmith, he mixes in an element with a different atomic size, the interloper will randomly disrupt the layers and reduce their tendency to slip. Can you start to make some comparisons here to the church? The interlopers who are weird and different (laughs) actually hold us together. This says, which creates a much harder alloy. The correct choice of compounds can enable metallurgists to, to tailor other properties like corrosion resistance or melting point. And that gave this one metallurgist this, this idea. He says, instead of starting with one primary material mixing in only small quantities, what if I stirred together all these similar quantities of, of five or six or 20 different elements? And so it's, it's because each of the randomly mixed elements would be a different size, the atoms became lodged into place So you think the differences actually would separate? And he says, no, the the differences in this metallurgy, they're actually, these atoms become lodged in place and they're less able to slide past each other and they create a harder, more durable material. That's what God does with us. He composes us. He mixes a whole bunch of unlike people together in the body, all these different parts. And the whole reason he does that is so that you might not be divided. Look in verse 25. That there may be, God, why does God do this? Why does he stick such different people in here? Doesn't he know it's going to lead to division? And God says, no, that's actually the reverse. You think all being alike is going to make you united. And he says, no, that's not good. You need a whole bunch of differences. That there may be no division in the body. It's, it flips our ideas on their head, doesn't it? And he says, so that this, the members might have the same kind of care for each other, even though you're different, there might not be any division. And so it's for the body, that's the church. We're, we're brought together differently to, to, to care for each other, just like we care for ourselves. You know, when you stub your toe, the illustration you used earlier, it's an immediate reaction. That's actually meant to be how we react when some member of the body is hurting or suffering. That's what he says in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together, you don't think, that person's suffering. I wonder what I should do. Care, Respond talk bring him a meal do something go visit with him just sit there you don't have to know what to say but if one member suffers you're suffering you might not realize it. it's going to hurt the whole body but if one member's honored don't don't get in this trap of comparison like in jealousy and say that you know what why are they honored and i'm not honored no one sees my contribution He says no when one member's honored all are to rejoice together that's what the body does if somebody is given an accolade for being a wonderful singer, or if somebody's given an accolade for being an incredible athlete, it's the whole body of that person that's honored. The same way, if one part of the body is honored, he says, Yeah, rejoice together because that's God's work. And we're all honored through that. I don't know how many of you thought of your spleen this week. I don't even really know what the spleen does, if I'm honest. And the reality is I don't think a lot about internal organs unless there's a problem. And boy, when there's a problem, when when my appendix ruptured and it was disgusting, my whole body felt it. I was suddenly aware that I had an appendix and that it was suffering. One problem in the body affects other parts of the body, so don't think they're a problem, I'm going to isolate from them. No, they're suffering. Oh, they have issues? Let me get get close to them, let me care for them, let me love them. Let's let's just reflexively adjust, respond. Now, when we do that, it's going to inconvenience you. Sure it is. When one part of the body hurts, we're all inconvenienced. And it requires some effort here. But what a beautiful thing when the body is working together. What a beautiful picture of unity that is not only to others, but but to the whole world. That's a beauty. He says, when, when brothers dwell together in unity, oh, it's so beautiful. When people see our love for one another, that's a compelling witness for the gospel, because the world needs unity, and they can't get it outside of Christ. You know, the, the picture in heaven, we were, we were united, I'm sorry, the picture in the garden, we were united with, with God and walking in the garden, and that, that unity is broken by sin, and so then you see this whole picture of the story of creation where, where God actually brings us back into unity with Him with, through Christ, and then He brings us back to be a part of the body, and so at the end of Revelation, we are all together as one body, every tribe, tongue, and nation, every kind of person all one body in Christ. And so it should be with the local manifestation of the body of Christ here and now. Or one body, many members. How we view ourselves doesn't make less a part of the body. How you view others doesn't make you less, them less dispensable. I mean, <laughs> less indispensable. I think, I think what Paul's getting after, the, the big idea really, is that we are interdependently and indispensably united in Christ's body. We are interdependently and indispensably united in Christ's body. Now, before you think, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really need to hear this message. It doesn't apply to me. Well, we're meant to apply no matter where you find yourself. You feel like you don't belong. You feel like you're superior. Apply this passage to yourselves. We celebrate this, the fact that we are Christ's own body, and there's a supernatural work of the Spirit that's brought you here what happens every Sunday, what happens in small groups, what happens when we're together as believers, when you're breaking bread with each other and and worshiping God from house to house, when you're doing those things, functioning like the body of Christ we see in Acts 2. It's a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit has done to unite us as one. And this this whole body imagery, body of Christ, it implies this, this closeness. Are you around the body? Are you actively apart? Are you connected in meaningful ways? Are you working together? Are you supporting, caring, responding? Now, maybe you've been paralyzed by trauma or by an accident, just like the body can become paralyzed by an accident. Neural pathways that can result in dullness, lack of response. That can happen to us spiritually too, that we can have some damage because sinful people are in churches. We're all sinful. That trauma can lead us to to pull away, lead us into paralysis, can dull our thinking. Paul's renewing our thinking here. Maybe you've been paralyzed by hurt, by pain. Maybe you walled yourself off. There's a dullness. Let's renew ourselves with the truth of what God says. We're already a part of God's solution to brokenness and disunity. And we're called to go and bring people into that. To live in the good of that. The Holy Spirit's placed us in the body. He's engrafted us, and that's reality. Now, we're not yet who we will be, but let's live in light of who we are. This closeness, this intimacy of connection, this body picture brings up. He wants our minds to be renewed with this truth, that of whose they are, because of that, who they are, and to live as as in light of who they already are have been called to be. Let's not miss out on the great and grace of God that he gives us through the body. Don't miss out on the opportunity to give and receive life-giving edification, encouragement, help, and care. God is so kind. He's chosen us. He's arranged us. He's put us together in his body. He's given each and every member here a gift. He's made each and every person, given you a part. You're significant. You matter. Because God says you do. God defines you. You're in his body. It's being in Christ that defines you. Let's live in the good of that reality by actively participating, valuing, and caring for your fellow members. Amen? Let's pray. And have the, go ahead and have the band come up, and we'll close the song. Father, thank you that you haven't just left us alone to our own devices. You've called us to yourself. We've met us one with you. But then, Lord, you've given us a practical expression of that oneness through making us one with each and every other believer in Jesus Christ. And then you've given us a personal, practical way to live that out in union with this local body. And so, Lord, we want to thank you for that. God, help us live in light of that truth and help us banish those lies that we've been led to believe. And Lord, let us experience the goodness of your grace that we have through the Holy Spirit. And let's drink of your spirit afresh today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.